Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant. Holy Land! And as always, I'm joined today by Jordan Williams. How are you doing today, Jordan? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, like I, I think we talked about it last week. We were already kind of in off-season mode. It felt like we did back-to-back off-season shows with the recruiting and then like what the Ohio State needs to do before they announced Ohio State in the playoffs. And now, you know, we've talked about it. We've done some stuff with it. But this is the preview show, so I'm really excited. Uh, when you guys hear this, it'll be game day eve, New Year's Eve eve. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I think – the Georgia trash talk has really gotten to me a little bit, and I'm just ready to see it happen on the field. Yeah, I don't mind the trash talk. I, I think that, you know, when you're the national champion, you are allowed to talk trash. Um, I just hope that, you know, Ohio State isn't doing the cliche thing where they're like, oh, we hear the talk, we hear the talk, and then doesn't do anything about it. They just, like, shit the bed on the field with, and then make it where the talk is actually, like, true. So, you know, take it to heart and, uh, you know, do something about it. Yeah, and it's definitely one of those things where it's like there's been a lot of programs who have won national championships and kind of, like, held that in your face, but, like, Georgia is trash talking like Ohio State fans so much and saying, you got no shot. I don't even know why they're playing the game and having that mindset. And it feels like they haven't won a national championship before. Like, it feels like, man, this team, 
really doesn't like it's borderline going on to that point where it's like you're so confident you're overconfident i don't believe in your confidence anymore uh yeah i think i definitely think there's some like uh there's some credit uh credit credence to them having some false confidence because let's be honest they don't want to play us no, but like they don't. Uh, th- doesn't mean they're gonna. They're not gonna win, but they definitely don't want to play this right now. Yeah, absolutely. This is like one of those matchups we've been talking about for a very long time. It seems like Ohio State and Georgia have kind of been linked together because one team does it with like an explosive, like high flying offense. The other team does it with like a stout, like you're not going to move the ball. You're not going to score on this type of defense. And now we finally get to see it. And I think that lead up, you know, Ohio state losing to Michigan the way it did. And even that I'm kind of like revising my history on it. I'm like, you know, they're still only a couple plays away and it just feels like whenever Ohio state is overlooked, they come out with a different mindset, right? Like, think about it, 2002, Miami was a double-digit favorite in the national championship. Like, I, I know you're not the biggest betting guy, but there's, like, no more disrespect in a championship game than being a two-score favorite. Like, nothing like that. Um, what, uh, two years ago when they beat Clemson, Clemson was favored against them. 2014, nobody gave Ohio State a shot against Alabama or Oregon. And now – we're back in that place. Ohio State's an underdog. When's the last time Ohio State was an underdog? Twenty twenty national championship against uh, Alabama. Yeah, I mean, that one. That one. That one was bad. <laughs> I don't think this Georgia team's that good, though. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying it all year. Um, they're obviously good enough to win a national championship. To win the national championship, but I've been saying all year, but that there is no one dominant team in the sport, um, and a lot of people are ignoring that when it comes to Georgia, just because they were super dominant last year. Although relative, because they still lost to Alabama in the SEC championship game, but I've seen too many bad games from them to assume that they are just going to blow anyone out the water. I am not going to assume that if they beat us. They're going to blow Michigan out the water. That is, again, not to say that they won't, but they have not shown anything to warrant this opinion that they're going to walk to a national championship. Now, if they do walk to a national championship, then they put in the work in the late season to fix some things. They came in ready to go and whatever because they have the talent. But again, Kent State put up 22 on them. They should have lost to Missouri. Like, they've had some things. And it's just funny. Like, I've heard people talk about Ohio State, and then I've heard the same people talk about Georgia. And it's like, oh, Ohio State's not good. They have all these weaknesses, this kind of, that kind of stuff. And then with Georgia, it's like, oh, they're national champion. They're just bored. No, they play the shit game because they have flaws. Like, so, yeah, it's interesting. And again, like, they have just as good a chance, if not a better chance, than everyone to win. But I, I'm not going into this fearful. My quote-unquote fears are because of my lack of faith in Ryan Day to get his team mentally prepared uh, in all aspects. But one thing we haven't talked about and we need to talk about later is our confidence in Jim Knowles and what that means and how that's going to – because we just hear a lot about the offense versus defense. 
our offense versus Georgia's defense because that's the most fun matchup. But we're not talking enough about what Jim Knowles can do and how he can even the game. So I, I think overall it's a great matchup on paper. It's going to be a great matchup on on the field. And Ohio State has the best chance of anyone in the country to come out with a win against uh, Georgia. Yeah, no, I'm definitely there with you. I think stylistically, uh, the way they oppose Georgia very much matches up better than most people are giving them credit for right now. And I think that's really where I think, you know, they play a lot of man coverage. What does that mean? They have to be perfect against Ohio State's receivers and C.J. Stroud. Like, that's not really something they've had to do. They've played Tennessee, but for those who don't really watch that much Tennessee, they don't really have a very complex passing game. It's either slants or verticals and then bubbles. And I'm pretty sure Ohio State, if they don't fall into that trap and say that we've seen them fall into, they have a much more dynamic passing game just from a conceptual standpoint than Tennessee. So you take that, you take a Boletnikoff level receiver in Marvin Harrison Jr. You take arguably one of the most dynamic slot receivers in the country in Emeka Ibuka. And you match them up against Keely Ringo and Javon Bulliard. Uh, I think that that's that's a matchup they can win. And if they can win, and I know everyone keeps talking. This is what's confusing me. Everyone's talking about balance. I think Georgia's going to be able to stop the run. You need a complimentary run game where, hey, you get six yards, you get your, yourself a second and four. You don't need a dynamic 250-yard rushing performance. You need C.J. Stroud and the receivers to be better than Georgia's defense. And that's that's probably my biggest first thought about this matchup. I think a lot of people are overthinking this because what have we been successful at this year? What has Ohio State been successful at this year? Throwing the football downfield. That's what they're best at. Their best players are involved in those positions. And, you know, Myron Williams gets more stomach bugs than anybody I know. He was sick again. You don't know what he's going to get. Chip train him. You know, he's played minimal at running back this year, down Hayden. You know, they're players you're going to need to rely on in situations, but the game's going to be one passing the football, and we're going to really find out about T.J. Stroud Saturday. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm very excited about. Like, we don't have to get into it today because we already talked about it, but just a lot of content out there about C.J. Stroud not being football tough, not physically, mentally. And so um, he's not beating the charges with some of the things that he's saying in his press conferences. Uh, not super excited about that. But I know that he has the talent to go out there and do whatever he wants to do. So uh, I'm ultimately, you know, this is luckily we get the preview because I'm tired of talking about it. So this is going to be the last time that we talk about it and we're going to go as in depth as possible. And then we just get to watch it. And by we, I mean all of you, because I will not be watching. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be uh, recorded because I'll be busy, unfortunately. But that's what happens when they put games on New Year's Eve instead of New Year's Day, because the leadership in college football sucks. They're stupid. But, you know, yeah. That's a conversation. No, I, day. It's less the leadership in college football, more the leadership of the Rose Bowl. <laughs> They're selfish. They're selfish. Um, well, yeah, honestly, I, 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 yeah, I hate the New Year's Eve bowl games. That's the one thing I'm hoping the eight team playoff or the twelve team playoff gets rid of the New Year's Eve bowl games. Like no one, there's. Don't get me wrong. I think we're two of the biggest college football fans in the world, but. 
New Year's Eve is a fun holiday for people our age. Like that is something where we get along. We have fun. We go out with friends. We enjoy the turn of the clock, the turn of the year on the calendar. And instead, you're going to have to live. I'm going to have to live life stressed from 8 p.m. to midnight wondering where Ohio State's going to be. And then for you guys, this is how dedicated I am. We're going to talk about it after win or lose because that's what we do here. Um, yeah, honestly, it's just it, the New Year's Eve game suck. Honestly, it's just the worst thing in college football. Yeah, honestly, and it, it, like you know, there, there's a chance that they'll fix the calendar and some other things and whatever. Who knows? But I don't believe anything that they're going to do because they all just no leadership skills, no common sense. But yeah, Ooh. having games on New Year's Eve, the one holiday, like <laughs> one of the main holidays where the thing is to leave the house, like Christmas. Easter, July 4th, uh, Veterans Day, like all these other holidays, Labor Day that like people, uh, Thanksgiving, all these things that people kind of like put sports around, they're all like in the house. You have cookouts, dinner, people over, all of this kind of stuff. New Year's Eve is the one holiday where you go out to parties, bars, clubs, whatever it is, you travel, etc. That, that's not that's not when you should be playing for like important football games. Like if you still want to do things, whatever. But the playoffs yeah. should never be on New Year's Eve. Those New Year's Eve day games are awesome. You know, get you through the day, get you to the night. But even if you look at the television data, the metrics there, the ratings on the New Year's Eve games are significantly worse than the New Year's Day games. Like it's yeah. not even close. It's like two or three million, and that's that's significant. That's exactly the group of people going out versus staying in and that's really all there is to it and I, I don't know it's definitely something they need to fix for the people honestly just make one decision for the fans the NCAA that, that would be great if they did that but you know do you believe that they will yeah and honestly why wouldn't you just move it one day earlier the 30th no one's working anyways Literally. Anything um, but even if it's on New Year's Eve, like the it should be noon and four. It should yeah. be four and eight. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh I like it's one of those things. They play in domes anyways. It's not really like the same as a normal night game. So um yeah, no, I think we're on to something. And once again, if you guys see a story about the NCAA changing it, you guys have to make sure they credit me and Jordan for the idea. Yep, that's what we're here for, to change the leadership because we are obviously and clearly smarter than it. Yeah. All right, so let's get into it. Let's get into some key matchups on the field. Um, I've got a list here that I put together. If you have any more to add, feel free to do it. Uh, but let's get started. Let's get started in our Ohio State versus Georgia preview. So the biggest matchup to me, I think – uh, because of not only just like the skill and the talent involved, but just, I mean, it's just great players up against great players is Ohio state's receivers versus Georgia's secondary. Like you flip it on the other side, it's Georgia's relatively mid receivers versus Ohio state's relatively mid defensive backs. That's no fun at all, but Ohio state's receivers versus Georgia's secondary. That is a battle of Titans. Um, you've got Jacks. Oh God, that was sad. Oh, man. Omeki Buka, you've got Marvin Harrison Jr., you've got Julian Fleming. Um, 
And then on Georgia's secondary, you've got Kamari Lassiter, you've got Keely Ringo. And these are guys who were recruited at a high level. Um, these are all players that most people in the country wanted. Like, this is the peak of college football receivers versus secondary in a lot of ways. And I think this is going to be a defining matchup of the football game. Absolutely. But I think Ohio, I won't maybe say decided, but Ohio State has an advantage in this matchup. Um, Keely Ringo is a certified stud, but uh, Marvin Harrison's better. Um, if he does not shadow him any time that he's not on Marvin Harrison, just throw it up. And if he does shadow him, just run deep balls and either throw it past them or throw it short because he is very handsy and is going to pass their feet. Like, I hate that as a concept. Like, I truly do. But against Keely Ringo, I would just throw short deep balls and make him – he's going he's gonna to pass interference two on three times. Like, he's, he's very, very physical. And he's too physical for college, which means he's screwed in the NFL if he doesn't figure it out. Um, he's an absolute stud. Like people are projecting yeah, hands on corner pick. for sure. Um, and he should, he's like six, one, six, two. Like he's a big guy, but like, well, he's the stockiest corner I think I've ever seen, honestly, yeah. but like he's I, built like a running back and he's out there playing corner and moving like with that agility you need out there. Yeah. But it, it's, it's definitely the best matchup, but I think Ohio state wins it. Um, more times than not. Yeah, you know, I think all, all the eyes are going to be on Keely Ringo and Marvin Harrison Jr. And I think that's definitely going to be one guy gets his, the other guy gets his, that type of matchup. You know, I, I'm really intrigued by the matchup in the slot with uh, Javon Bullard and I don't even know. Is it Javon Bullard? Bullard? Is it French? I don't know. They uh, keep doing that every time I read his name. And Emeka Egbuka. I think Emeka at times struggles to create separation, but he makes a lot of physical tough catches on third down. I don't think Javon Bullard's played a receiver of Emeka's caliber this year. And at the like, that Stroud security blanket, like we've seen it. He has a lot of catches, um, got a lot of yards. Uh, if thousand yard receiver, yeah. If he has a big game, I, I really think. You could see some dynamic plays in the middle because what George does, they play straight man, cover one straight man across. And if the slot receiver gets loose, hey, Emeka has the speed, the strength, the physicality to turn a 15 yard, a five yard catch into a 50 yard touchdown. So it's really going to be interesting. And I think what I want to see from Ohio State, just to get into a little bit of some scheme stuff here. I want to see some mesh routes early. I want to see them getting receivers crisscrossing in the middle. I want to see guys getting set, like some picks being set. I want to see a lot of rub action because I really do think you need to get Georgia out of what they want to do because we've seen how weak their zone can be at times. And if you force Georgia out of man coverage because you keep crisscrossing and doing all that, then you're in a place where you can start running the ball a little bit more effectively and you can start finding holes in the pockets like Stroud wants to do. And you can't dedicate additional pressure with the linebackers if you come out of man coverage. Yeah, but unfortunately, like, Ryan Day forgot that they existed. Like, after Dwayne Haskins, Ryan Day, like, learned the crossing routes out of his playbook um, and just couldn't conceptualize doing that ever again. Uh, but I think that you are right. when. 
you see it in a game and he does it once and it works for like 25 yards and you just never see it again after. And I think that's Ryan Day's biggest problem, honestly, as a play caller. Yeah, the thing that I'm asking for for Ryan Day the most of this game is to spam the easy button. If it works, do it until it stops. I.e., throw the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. 20 times. Um, don't don't get too cute because it's not going to work. Um, yeah. Don't get cute. Don't We don't need the design plays to Kate Stover. And you know what? If there's a design play to Kate Stover and it works for a big gain or a touchdown, I'll eat crow. But that is not how I want this game to find. If Ohio State loses, I want them going to their best player. I'm perfectly fine with the design plays to Kate Stover. I'm not fine with the designs plays to Kate Stover in the crucial moments. Never on third down. But if it's yeah. first and 10 anywhere out in the field, if it's first and 10 in the red zone even, sure. But if it don't work on first down, don't do it on second and definitely don't do it on third unless it's second and short and you have a play or it's third and short and you're going to go for it on fourth down and you're going to Marvin Harrison Jr. But don't do it in pivotal moments. That's not going to work. Like, it's just not. But yeah. I'm fine with for the switch because he is good and he has done some things and I like the play calls. I just wish he did them at different points. Yeah, it just – like the the birding, like the ingraining of just Cade Stover, like going over four in monumental plays against Michigan really has me sore on him. Because like what, 11 weeks out of 11 weeks, I'm like, that's the best player in America at the sport of football. As It's ironic, but uh, yeah. I think, I think that's the thing. The worst part is, is Cade Stover is going to have – uh, one of the linebackers in coverage quite a bit. And I kind of trust him against that matchup. And I don't want to be talked out of this. I kind of trust him against the linebackers winning one-on-one. Yeah, I, I don't think George's linebackers are that good. Um, and you should believe me because I'm an authority on the position. Um, Freaky athletes, I not the best linebackers. I may be a self-proclaimed authority, but I am indeed an, author- an authority on the position. And I don't think they're that good. Um, their life is made easy by a dominant defensive line, which is not really a diss because football's a team sport, and that's kind of how you want it to be. But I'm not concerned about them single-handedly being better than our players in space. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we should kind of pick on the linebacks a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you joked about it in our Slack chat. Uh, Ryan Day running like those little dump offs to the running backs in the middle. It's going to be there. It's going to be there. I don't think people understand that it's going to be there. And he should actually consider it and not just use it as a warm-up exercise Yeah. when the media is there. The second thing I'm asking of him is literally what you just said. Have a dump-off. Ryan Day does not believe in a dump-off. He is an offensive yeah. mastermind, so he wants everyone eligible out on a route. He doesn't want to waste anyone on a short route. You're either blocking or you're going deep. That's fine, except when it's not. When a team yeah. is really good at bringing pressure and you have a quarterback who can't, well, not can't, who won't run either by your admission or his, you need a short route, an option route to the running back, a slip out for the tight end. You need something where you can get a couple yards and you feast on it until they have to do something different. They have to spy you. They have to put a guy on it, and that's going to open the deep stuff. Ryan Day – 
aside from, you know, the obvious racism and just the fact that these people are absolute dog shit at their job somehow, Ryan Day lost Justin Fields' money by never giving him a dump off. So it looked like Justin Fields just held on to the ball. It's like, no, he didn't hold on to the ball. All of his routes were 20 yards downfield. He couldn't throw it nowhere. Yeah. They couldn't do anything. And so CJ Stroud is going to find him. Like, that is his ideal trait. He can read the field. He can find the open guy. He can throw guys. He doesn't open. make mistakes. If you put a guy there for him, he's going to find it, especially because he doesn't want to run. Literally, like, make him an offensive spy. And I don't even know if this concept exists, exists, but do it. Where literally he goes to the middle of the field, he turns around, and then he just does the scramble drill. Either he stays there, or if CJ Stroud rolls out, he rolls with him, and he just finds space. Like, a dead, like and you don't have to do it every single play, but you know when they're going to pass us. Like, you need that. And you put it on film, and I jokingly, very seriously said, you put it on film so that they have to, they have to study it, and it's never going to do it because he just doesn't believe – and dump offs, but that is going to be crucial. Yeah. In this and not like one of those like stupid long dump offs where you've got like the running back or Mitch Rossi hanging out on the sideline, you know, after they run like a little shoot route, uh, like a real dump off. Like, hey, Mayan Williams is in protection. They brought four. He's going to slip out. And if nothing's open downfield, just dump it off, get it to an athlete in space. You know who would be absolutely nasty with a dump off is Xavier Johnson. He should just be the dump off guy. Yeah, he'd be really good. Evan Pryor would be really good. Trey would be good if he was healthy, but he's not. Um, yeah, but Xavier Johnson, as someone who is healthy and eligible to play, would be excellent at that. Yeah, I'll be intrigued to see how they use him as well. All right, let's get to the next key matchup here. Uh, I've got the interior offensive line versus George's defensive line. Uh, I said whole defensive line because they like to do a lot of stunts and twists. And I'm not really worried about Dewan Jones or Paris Johnson Jr. with those. I am worried a little bit about Donovan Jackson because of his youthfulness. Luke Whippler because he's not the best uh, athlete in the world. And we don't even know who's playing right guard fully. I know Matt Jones was said to be full go, but I don't think that necessarily makes him a definitive starter, right? So I, I'm intrigued. And then also you've got that very uh, important matchup of Jalen Carter versus whichever guard he's over. Uh, that should always be a double team. Like, I don't care. Pass protection run. It should always be a double team. I'm like, if I was terrified of anything, it's that. Um, I know this is a basketball stat, but I would love to see um, their uh, oh, plus minus with him on the field versus off. Like, uh, in the last Lakers game, they were like plus two with LeBron on and like negative 11 with Allen or something like that. I know there's like no way to do that in football, but I, I would love to see that because if he's on the field, Difference maker. We need to win every snap that he's not on the field. And when he is on the field, it needs to be a double team. You can double team in pass block. You can definitely double team in run block. There should never be an occasion where you think, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll block him one on one. Give him the Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald treatment. Uh, he's obviously yeah. not Aaron Donald, but he has that disruptive ability at this level of college. Give him the Aaron Donald treatment and play everyone else one-on-one, especially on the edge. Um, help each other out. Help me help you. Help you help yourself. Um, and that's how that should go. And because he, again, he's not Aaron Donald, but he is 
you know, a game record of sorts, he's still going to win some of those. But you need to yeah. limit how many he wins. And you need to tire him out. Like, if he's going to win, he needs to get through two blockers to do it and not one. All right, yeah, I agree with that. And even if it's a helpful hand, like that's what they call it. Like that's what they call it when I played with the center, just always giving him that chip or the tackle, always giving him that extra hand to keep him in to the guard before they go to the end. Because like Georgia's defensive ends aren't dominant players. They're not like they dominate from the interior. And last year it was a combination of Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis, which is horrifying uh, thinking about now. And, you know, the difference between Jordan Davis is Jordan Davis gave you three plays. Jalen Carter gave you a whole drive. That's the biggest difference. And that makes it a little harder. But that's why sustaining drives is going to be incredibly important. The longer you keep these guys on the field, or you either make them rotate or you're going to get their best players tired. And that's points offensive line because I know you've you've said this before. I know a lot of offensive line experts say this all the time. It's a lot easier. It's a lot less tiring to block someone than it is to get blocked by someone. So you got to keep those drives going. And I I think the help in pass protection is huge. Um, But there's going to be times where Georgia brings pressure. They're going to have six rushers and – you're going to have to trust Donovan Jackson and the guard, the other guard to win one-on-one against him. Can he do that enough? Uh, that's where it's really going to come into Stroud's hands. How quick do you want to get the ball out? Knowing where your hot read is, so on and so forth to help them out a little bit. But I really do think the tackles will be fine. I have zero fear that the defensive ends in Georgia are better than our tackles at Ohio state. And I, I do think that it really just comes down to how you manage Jalen Carter. Yeah, Jalen, like not single-handedly, single-handedly, but Jalen Jalen Carter can single-handedly win this game for them. Um, they're like I'm not super super sensitive to like Stroud, um, like things that people say like negatively about him, um, because like you know some of it's true and things like that. But one of the things that I dislike the most that they say about him is he's he doesn't like pressure up the middle, and it's like. No quarterback likes pressure up the middle. No quarterback is pressure like the worst thing for a quarterback. It's why teams have started to switch to pressure up the middle. It's why players like J.J. Watt were so dangerous, uh, who's retiring, which is crazy. It's why players yeah, it's... like J.J. Watt were so dangerous because he could go up the middle or he could play outside. And it's why you have certain teams. It's why like teams like the 49ers are built up the middle. Despite their edge rushers, they're built up the middle with their tackles. Like, and yeah. so C.J. Stroud is not like any other quarterback in the world who does not like pressure up the middle. You could argue that some people deal with it better than others, obviously, right? But that's not what I'm saying. But like their strength is – 95% of quarterbacks' biggest weakness is dealing with pressure up the middle. And so they have to do whatever they can because no matter what, like, like you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. can be wide open. But if it takes him, Just pressure three, the if it takes him three seconds to get open, but there's only two seconds to throw the ball, it's not going to matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. So, Jalen, like this matchup is like super important, and it's the one where we don't have not the one because we don't have an advantage in every matchup, but it is the main one where we do not have an advantage. 
Absolutely. And yeah, I, I was actually reading, I've been reading some uh, draft stuff on uh, like a lot of GMs and coaches have moved past, like thinking you need the dominant edge guy. Uh, the reason the three tech, the dominant three techniques not talked about more in NFL circles is because guys who are dominant in that position just don't grow on trees. Like every team would love to have an Aaron Donald more than they'd love to have an elite edge rusher. But how many Aaron Donalds are there? Yeah, and it's it's the thing. It's like you need both, but what you'll see is the Chicago Bears are most likely going to select Jalen Carter over Will Anderson Jr. And it's because and and their style of defense specifically, the three tech is the most important position. And if you look at you know teams like the Browns, you know Miles Garrett is a stud, absolutely. But what did they do last year? They they drafted a three tech out of um, Oklahoma, and I don't know if he's been good or not. I haven't watched the Browns, but they needed someone at that position, and they and a lot of teams have been looking for that. Like you said, they just don't grow on trees. It's why the the Colts traded a fortune for DeForest Buckner, and then immediately gave him a contract. And it's why the 49ers traded DeForest Buckner, and then immediately replaced him with Javon Kinlaw. Immediately, like the next draft, like they traded him and then got his replacement because of how important the position. Now, Javon Kinlaw is not the Force Buckner, but it's just if you run a fourth, the same principle, yeah. If you run a fourth through, the most important position on your defensive line is the three tech. Yeah, absolutely, and that's why it is so important that Ohio State has a plan for Jalen Carter. Like, I think that's the most important matchup: the three guys inside versus him. So like like we said, the receivers are going to get theirs against the secondary. Georgia secondary is going to win their matchups at times. If the defensive line dominates the interior offensive line, that Ohio State-Georgia secondary matchup, is it's not going to matter. Yeah, it's not. Because, all like, again, just said it, but it's true. You can be as open as you want to. You can be uh, butt booty naked in the secondary for a, a million touchdowns, but if the quarterback don't have enough time to throw the ball to you, it don't matter. Yeah. All right, that takes us to the next one. This is kind of the same vein, but not fully. Stroud versus Georgia's pass rush. That kind of takes in the blitz, the defense fans, the interior defensive linemen. You already alluded to it. Stroud struggled against pressure more this year than he did last year. I think he's seeing a lot more pressure looks this year than last year because when you play a young quarterback, you tend to sit down, you sit back and you want to make him decide. Well, we saw that worked out for most teams last year. So now teams are bringing pressure and it has impacted him at times, especially against the better teams on the schedule. But for Stroud, this is a huge opportunity to kind of show NFL evaluators that he can stand in the pass rush. He can maneuver through the pocket. He can get out the pocket and make throws off platform, uh, off schedule, and have big plays. It really is just one of those statistical things where Stroud's pass ratings basically cut it in half when he gets blitzed. And is if Ohio State can protect and give him a clean pocket, you know how dangerous Stroud is with a clean pocket against man-to-man coverage with his ball placement. Yeah, and I actually saw something that they basically said that a lot of the statistics that shot against the Blitz are not entirely accurate. They basically said someone, and it may be JT Sullivan of the QB school, um, if you want to learn about quarterback plays, you should definitely check him out. 
Uh, I don't know why I'm giving free plug, but I like learning from him. Um, he basically said, or someone basically said that CJ Stroud, when he knows where the ball is going, is great against the blitz. He'll stand in the pocket, he'll stand tall, he'll throw the ball, he'll take a hit, all of that kind of stuff. They said the problem and where he dif- differentiates from, say, um, um, Bryce Young is he struggles when he doesn't know where the ball is going and finding it or escaping and extending the play to find a guy later. Those are two different things. Like, it is not that he's absolutely bad against the Blitz at all. It is just that there, at times, he struggles. That is a skill you can learn. That is probably not a skill you can learn in five weeks from your last game, right? So... I don't know if that means he needs to identify the guy earlier. I don't know if that means that wide receivers need to get open earlier. But Stroud is not a entire liability against the Bates or against pressure. But there is certain types of pressure and there are certain times. It's, it's very boom or bust. Either he's going to kill you or he's going to hurt you. And that is not what you want. You want a guy who more times than not is going to kill a, a team for, for um, you know, blitzing and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's not – he's far from perfect as a prospect, as a player. He definitely has his weaknesses, and that's why it's up to people and the offensive line and things like that to support him as best as possible and to give him as much time as possible. Even if it's that extra second, so he can find the open guy, and then he he'll stand in and take the hit. Because again, that toughness that people are talking about is like is not physical toughness. It's like the mental toughness, leadership type aspect stuff. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, this kind of goes back to your conversation you started with the checkdowns. Like, give Stroud an out. He's going to find the out if he needs to, and that's much better than a throwaway or him trying to extend the play and then losing two or three yards getting sacked. Like, give him some options underneath. Give him some options if he, like, late in the play. And, like, he's not, like, he's not terrible at throwing on the run. He's still very good at it. Like, they, when he was first starting out as Ohio State's quarterback, they used to love getting him out and on the move a little bit. And I do believe that... Ohio State, like I think moving the pocket against Georgia is going to be a huge tool, and I hope that's part of Kevin Wilson's 70% of the work is recognizing that. Yeah, um, that's going to be important as a game plan. They need to move the pocket. There, there are three things that I would do if I was an offensive coordinator slow on Jalen Carter. One, I would move the pocket. <clears throat> Two, I would always run away from him. And three... I would never pull, like, this is going to sound, like, different than what I just said is running away from him. I would never, actually, no, I said that wrong. I would always run to him because if you run away from him, it gives him a chance to dominate and, like, come from the backside for a tackle of the ball. Or if you run to him, you double-team him, he's going to win some, he's going to lose some. Never, ever, 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 ever pull away from him. The guard in front of him should never pull because he's going to destroy that play. He always yeah. needs to be taking a uh, uh, he always needs to be taking a down block, and you pull towards him uh, where it's not where he is going. Because as a defensive lineman, you're taught to replace the pulling guard. He's going to do that at a faster and more explosive rate than most people. 
And Ohio State doesn't pull that much. They run zone, whatever. So maybe that doesn't even matter. But you always, like, move the pocket away from him as much as possible, and you run to him. And I know that sounds weird, but a lot of these guys, like, he is a good run defender. I'm not saying that he's not. But a lot of these guys are not great run defenders, and defending the run is the hardest part about the position. Fighting off double teams, that kind of stuff. Everyone likes to pass block. He always, always double teams always run towards him and you make him fight for it and earn it because if you give him that space where he can use his speed uh, and get around the guy, he's going to do it and he's going to destroy whatever play you call. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Uh, there always needs to be a body on him no matter what, uh, whether that's two bodies or one body. If you're going to run the pin and pull, make sure the guy who's pulling is actually pinning and you just pull the guy next to him because – that is not a great plan of attack to let him have a free go. All right. And then my last key matchup, I've got the safeties versus Georgia's tight ends. Um, Michigan had success with the tight ends. Uh, CJ Dupre, uh, the new Alabama tight end, had some success for Maryland against Ohio State. Um, teams have been finding success recently with the tight ends in the passing game. And I think this matchup is going to be crucial. Uh, You've got Lathan Ransom, who's coming off probably the worst game of his career. You've got Uh, Tanner McAllister. was not the worst game of his career. He had much more than he was playing out of position. Yeah, it's true. Uh, You've got Tanner McAllister, who I do not want to see near Darnell Washington. And you've got, you know, Josh Proctor, who hasn't been playing that much. Sonny Styles, who's definitely young maybe he gets some go because of just the pure size of darnell washington jr the athleticism brock bowers there's only a few players who can match that like this is probably one of the matchups where i think ohio state has some of the best safeties in the country i just don't know if they have it in them after their last performance to take on this challenge um, I actually I kind of disagree with that. I think that Ohio, like Ohio State is one of the best teams in the country against tight ends. They just suck against wide receivers, which is why it's great that Georgia doesn't have good wide receivers. And I won't let anyone convince me that they do. Now, does that that does not mean I'm predicting Ohio State to win the matchup against the tight ends? But I think that that is like that's an area. Unlike the offense versus defensive line, our interior offensive line is not a strength. So that being their strength is very concerning. We've been good against tight ends all year. So that being their strength makes me feel better in that we can slow them down. Not stop them, slow them down. I mean, there hasn't been, like, uh, CJ Dupree or whatever his name is, he had, like, the one good play. But, like, the really good tight ends we face haven't really done much. Michael Mayer didn't do anything. Like, it was the worst game of his season. Uh, The tight end from Iowa didn't really do much. Worst game of his season or close to it. Like, the tight ends that came in and we knew that they were studs didn't do anything against us. Now, and actually, I won't even say that. I won't say that Brock Bowers is better than Michael Mayer because not everyone in the draft thinks so. He probably is. But that's not for me to choose. I'm not the expert in tight ends. But there are at least enough people who think that Michael Mayer is better than Brock Bowers, and we shut Michael Mayer down. Does that mean we're going to shut Brock Bowers down? No, because one of the things that they have that other ones don't is multiple of them. 
Yeah. But I don't think that we have been that bad or even so bad recently um, as much as it's been like we've just seen the CJ Dupree or whatever his name is highlight a bunch of times because he jumped over someone or whatever. Like, if you look at the stats against that game, like, he didn't really have that good of a game. So, um, I won't say confident because it's a different challenge than we've ever seen, but I'm not scared in that matchup, which I think is the best that you can be when you're facing a tight end group as good as what it is. It's not scared. You can't be confident because being confident against Brock Bowers is just dumb. That's like being confident against Rob Gronkowski. Like, obviously, yeah. I'm not saying he's being confident against an alligator, honestly. That's like being confident. Like, literally, like, it's like, and we're not alligator hunters. You know, like, we're not the crocodile hunters. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not us. <laughs> um, and, so, I will, uh, I will never say that I'm confident, but I am not the, to your level of hardest part about Brock Bowers though is like where Michael Mayer and all the tight ends Ohio State's played this year they're the traditional like you know not the fastest guy just a big receiver uses their body well like Michael Mayer is the peak version of that right in college football and every other tight end Ohio State's face has been you know not the fastest guy uh, but strong good body control gets into space right and finds the holes in the defense Brock Bowers is catching bubble screens and getting horizontal and turning little bingo screens into like 15 yard gains. And that's like kind of the worrisome thing about me because Ohio State has done a very poor job recently in communicating in the secondary. And if they're not communicating their responsibilities well, these guys can get lost. And that's kind of where my concern comes in. It's less about the talent on talent and more about Ohio State's secondary has communicated incredibly poorly the last, what, three games? And they're coming in, and I'm hoping this four weeks kind of gives them a nice little reset, but that's where I think my biggest concern with it is is the lack of communication. Yeah, I think that with Brock Bauer specifically, again, I'm not an offensive coordinator, but my game plan for him would be – it's twofold, right? It's one part the LeBron game plan of let him do whatever he wants to because one player can't beat you. And a second part playing like prevent defense solely against him. Like not actually prevent, but like, you know, in Madden where you can like play over the top, play over the top. Because if he scores an 80 yard touchdown because he broke seven tackles, that's very unfortunate. But you're like, he just went beast mode, it happens, he's a great player. If he scores an 80 yard touchdown because he's booty butt naked, uh, behind the entire secondary, and it takes one play, 80-yard drive, like what's happening against Michigan, that's a problem. So for him, like, have him in front of you. Now, that doesn't mean you're always going to be able to tackle him because he is an insane talent. I'm not, like, I understand that it's easier said than done, but to your point about communication, he needs to get his yards in a specific way, and that cannot be just running because he, he, he's fast for a tight end. He's not fast for a player. He's not running a 4 deep. He's not running a 4-4. Four four. Yeah. He's not going to be the fastest guy on the field. He's deceptively fast, though. He needs to have his catches within 5 to 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And like, and then you need 11 guys to tackle him because he's a stud. It just can't be where he leaks out on a wheel route and there's nobody near him and he runs fast enough where you can't catch him because he is an amazing athlete and he Travis Kelsey's you and scores big touchdown after big touchdown. Like, they, ultimately, the thing with Georgia is they have to earn it. They have to earn everything that they get. Everything on the field needs to be earned. Um... 
and that's so it's a, a part of the LeBron defense, part of the prevent defense. But ultimately, as I said before, one player can't beat you because if you could, not to the same talent level, but just because of the individual game that they had, we would have lost to Penn State because Parker Washington did everything he could to beat us. Good Lord, that that brother was bald. So yeah, um, I'm not. I don't want you to hear what I'm saying and get this like air of confidence that we are going to stop Black Bowers. I want you to listen to me closely. That is not what I said. I said give him the LeBron treatment, as in let him go for 37-7, and seven, but stop everybody else and pray you win the game. Yeah, because there would be nothing worse than Ohio State committing, over-committing defenders to stopping Brock Bowers than, hey, Darnell Washington, he's 6'8", 270 pounds, but guess what? He's running down the field by himself. And that's what happened again to Michigan. We overcommitted to one thing, and they burned us with another, and then we overcommitted to that, and they burned us with that. And I was like, damn, maybe we should have just played in the middle, and we maybe, maybe would have stopped something. Yeah, yeah. It's really that vicious part. That's why, like, as much as, like, I joke about it, like, I'm glad I'm not a football coach and I don't have to make these choices in-game, in the live moment, right? Because... Yeah, it just takes being wrong once, and then you guys, your whole season's gone. Um, yeah, I, I think one but, thing I want to, one thing that I want to ask as key as far as key matchups. You said on the field, but it's a key matchup regardless. It's Jim Knowles versus uh, their offense coordinator. And here's the thing: this is what I'm hoping happen. Of all things, Jim Knowles is a very very prideful. I know that he locked himself in the room and watched that Michigan game over and over. Because in arguably the biggest game of his career, maybe not, maybe like the, the Big 12 championship game was still bigger because of his championship game. But one of the biggest games of his career, and definitely the biggest game in Ohio State career, he absolutely shook the bed. There's no lying about it. There's no, you can, there's no qualms. There's no argument he shook the bed. Jim Knowles is still the guy that we wanted, right? He is still the guy that everyone in the country wanted. Georgia would have hired him immediately if they could have when Dan Lennon left. And they may have hired him over Dan Lennon besides the fact that Dan Lennon was already in the system. There are not many teams in the country who would not want them as a defensive coordinator. And I personally am not going to let one game where he made some mistakes change that for me. So my matchup is Jim Knowles. How does he handle? How does he deal with the tight ends? How does he play an extra linebacker? How does he mix coverage? How does he mess with Stetson Bennett, who is a good quarterback but not a great quarterback, who can be confused, who can make mistakes? We've seen that. Stetson Bennett is great when it's open, but how does he stop the run game so that Stetson Bennett has to win the game? Because if I'm Georgia, I don't want Stetson Bennett winning me the game. That's not his role. That's not what he does. He's not Sidney Stroud. He's not Bryce Young. He's not Caleb Williams. That's not him. He is still at in to his core in a system with great athletes, and he does not make many mistakes. So how do you make him make a mistake? You have to win. The defense has to win. The defense has to win. Like that ultimately, like the defense has to be the it factor. It doesn't matter how yeah. they do it. Georgia's offense ultimately is not the greatest offense in the country. And they have been shut down. Like I just I want I want to clarify, Georgia's been shut down. They scored like 17 or 20 points against Kentucky. They were losing to Missouri. Like they like they have had moments. Just like now, again, our defense has had bad moments as well, which is why this is a key matchup. Because if they had been dominant, maybe people would feel different about them. But of the two quote-unquote weaker units, as in 
their offense is weaker than their defense. Our defense is it's weaker than our offense. They need to win. And that is ultimately individual matchup, this player versus that, that versus this, whatever, whatever. That is the matchup because even if Jalen Carter single-handedly sacked Stroud five times, which is a bad thing, if we sack uh, – if we sack um, – wow, I just forgot his name right now. If we, if we sack four-year-old Stetson Bennett ten times, we give ourselves a chance, right? So – Ultimately, yeah. a very key matchup is how has Jim Lowe learned? What has those additional five weeks allowed him to put into the system that nobody's seen? What has it allowed them to fix that is hard to fix in season? The health of players, different things like that. Like that is ultimately the key to this game is how our defense plays. Because no matter what our offense does, if they don't score, we win the game. Yeah, I've got a stat for you here. Uh, I'm just trying to pull it up. Uh, but anytime Georgia sc- has scored less than 30 points against Kirby Smart, they're 2-8. and eight. And anytime they've scored more than 30 points, they're like 36-1. and one. Something ridiculous like that. So, I, I mean, you're right. I think that's the biggest key matchup of the game. Uh, I think I, I've been saying it. I think Ohio State's probably going to have to score. 40 points to win this football game. Um, but you only yeah. have to score 40 if the defense doesn't do its job. And I'm not yeah. confident we're scoring 40. So I would like the winning score on 30. So Jim knows, figure it out. I'd like the winning score to be like 26 to 16. That would be ideal. Like, Jim knows, keep them under 30 point challenges. Like, that, like that's the challenge. Because yeah. I'm not confident we're scoring 40 against them. We can, but I'm just, I'm not going to go out there with the mindset. You don't want to have to win that way. Because uh, yeah, you don't want to be chasing points against them. No, not at all. Them getting comfortable is probably the worst thing that could happen to Ohio State. Uh, and with that, let's get a quick break here, and we'll come back. And we've got a little bit more. Well, we've got a lot more to talk about, but we've got a little bit more to talk about as well. So, see you guys on the flip side here. Welcome back in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie. This is another episode of Buck Off. We're previewing the Peach Bowl matchup in Atlanta, Georgia, between Ohio State and the Georgia Bulldogs, the pseudo-home game for Georgia. Uh, but the person who manages tickets for, like, StubHub keeps emailing me that Ohio State is doing really well and buying there a lot. Uh, yeah, so a lot of yeah, so uh, it should. I, I like pseudo home game. Ohio State does well in the South. There's a lot of Buckeyes down South. There's a lot of Buckeyes in Pasadena. There's a lot of Buckeye. There's just a lot of Buckeyes. Yeah, ultimately, like Ohio State loves the festival in Arizona and things like that. But just logistically, Ohio to Atlanta is a much easier trip. And then you have the people who live in Georgia. You have the people who live in Florida, those big states in that area. Charlotte is booming. There's definitely Ohio State fans there. That is the easiest trip that we could have been offered. Um, it is still not to say that it is not going to be still majority Georgia fans, but I don't think it's any worse than 60-40. It's not going to be 70-30, anything like that. And 60-40, you can live with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 40% Ohio State fans get pretty loud. Uh, but yeah, all right. Let's let's flip the switch here. Let's take a break from Ohio State versus Georgia. Fiesta Bowl predictions. We'll get them here in the middle of the show. Uh, 
who you got this weekend? Uh, four o'clock game, Phoenix, Arizona, or Scottsdale, Arizona, wherever the stadium actually is, Glendale, Arizona. A lot of Dales out in Arizona. And probably a lot of Dales people, like people named Dale out in Arizona. That seems like an Arizona name. Uh, but who do you, who do you have there? TCU or Michigan and why? This one's really hard for me. And I won't go as long as I did on I-70, obviously, because that is a Big Ten show. This is why. Michigan's entire thing, right, is to physically impose their will and to make you give up, right? Multiple people have because people are just repeating narratives from last year. Multiple people who have actually really studied the game said that Georgia that Michigan did not impose their will against Ohio State. They did not out physical Ohio State like they did before. It was some bad run fits and some plays that just kind of broke the will of the team. I said they gave up. Whatever. They did not out physical like they did. I believe that they can out physical TCU. That, that's a given. It should be a given for most Big Ten programs versus a Big 12 program. The problem is there has been not a single team in 13 games that has made TCU cool. And I don't know how you can watch TCU's comeback against Kansas State where Max Duggan literally single-handedly led them back and not think that they have a chance. I don't know what, Georgia, what Michigan does if they don't quit, right? Because ultimately, Michigan expects you to quit because most teams have, including Ohio State, two years in a row. So there are a lot of reasons why Michigan should win the game. There are more reasons why Michigan should win than TCU. But I just like Michigan is just going to have to win the game. I don't believe they're going to make them quit. And if it becomes a game of quarterbacks, I'm taking Max Duggan every time. If it becomes a game of wide receivers, I'm taking Clinton Johnson every time. So I'm going to pick Michigan because I do legitimately think they're the better team. But I am still not sold on J.J. I don't believe that J.J. has ever had to single-handedly win a game for Michigan. J.J. kept Michigan afloat against Ohio State. But also, J.J. did the one thing that he's done in one game in his entire career, and that is connecting the people. And I'm sorry, I'm not a prisoner of the moment. I'm going to take the 15 yeah. games. That came back to work. came back to earth against Purdue with that. Yes. Like, I'm going to take the 15, 16, 18, however many games of his career where you couldn't connect on the deep ball versus the one where you could. So, I'm still going to – I'm still choosing Michigan because they do have the better offensive line. Donovan Edwards is a stud. Their defense is really well coached. And one thing that they do not do is they do not miss tackles. And if you can tackle Ohio State, you can tackle anybody. I'm still picking them, but I think it's much closer. And I do see a way for TCU to win. I would not be surprised if TCU wins. Um, And I think Michigan is going to have to win in a way that they're not used to because I don't believe that TCU is going to give up. Yeah, no, I think I'm with you on that. Um, I, I honestly, the way I kind of see it is when you looked at how Michigan beat Ohio State, it was being very masterful and situational football. And you can't play TCU that way because TCU doesn't play situational football. They play football. Like, honestly, Sonny Dykes coaches straight on vibes, 100%. Like, that is his personality. He's a Mike Leach guy. It's what they do. They go into a game. They have their plan. They have what they want to do offensively. And that is not great for such a methodical 
team. Like Michigan has their identity. They have exactly what they want to do. And on the other side of it, it's basically the Batman versus Joker in this game, to be honest. Like Joker, chaos, Batman, like to a T, you know, everything's organized. Um, and that's really it. And sometimes the Joker wins. So um, when you really break it down, uh, I don't. There's like definitely not as many pathways to TCU winning. There's one pathway. It's them giving up a lead early, going into the second half, down a couple of scores, and then storming back and winning in the final seconds, leaving everybody stunned. I don't think the, I, other, the, the other like 99 possibilities are probably Michigan winning somehow. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it down to 98. The second pathway is Quentin Johnson has two touchdowns and 150 yards at halftime, and Michigan, who is not a has quick, to chase, and Michigan, who is not a quick scoring offense, has to chase. And that is very likely because as good as Michigan is, they like Ohio State was getting open on them, like they they just weren't, and they don't have all of the guys. But this is a good question. Because we do this with a lot of teams. Quentin Johnson, wide receiver number what on Ohio State's roster? Two. How many other wide receivers can you say that in the country? Who else, who else, who else has Michigan played where you could say that? And you didn't even think about it. And I don't disagree. No. It's Jalen Hyatt. It's Quentin Johnson. It's Marvin Harrison Jr. And absolute stud. Like, there, like there's a very, very real chance he's the number one wide receiver taken in the tournament. Oh, Jordan Addison, too. Sorry, I forgot about him. Yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah. Um, it's like you could probably count them all on two hands. Uh, the name, the one you named, is, the one you named is still on one hand. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, yeah, they don't have the depth that Ohio State has, right? But that like he can still go supernova. And the one thing that TCU is going to do that Ohio State didn't do is they're going to spam the button. Ohio State yeah. don't spam the button enough. They're going to spam that button. The the Doug and the Johnson button is rubbed raw. You can't even see it. You're playing the game. With yeah, the it's that old PlayStation control yeah. where the X button's missing. And you you just you just know where the button's at because you can't see it. So. There are more than one way for them to win, but ultimately, TCU has to play almost a perfect game to win, where Michigan does not, because they are ultimately still the better team. Um, but I, I, I just think that there's something to it of TCU having to have to fight so much, and Michigan has not had to fight, especially in their, especially in their out of conference. So. Um, yeah, you want to you want to hear something funny here? Okay. Michigan's a seven and a half point favorite against TCU. Uh, if Ohio State matches up against them in the national championship game, it'd be minus ten and a half. Hmm. Yeah, and and people have like questioned that, but the thing is, and I've said it before, this is not to say that Michigan wouldn't beat us again, but the way that they beat us is unsus- unsustainable. It is not yeah. how they beat us last year. It was like it's like you said. It's you look at 20, 20 games of JJ McCarthy's career doesn't connect on the deep ball, and, and it's only twelve. Gets to Ohio State, he gets two wide open that no one's around those guys, and he throws the ball far enough out there. Yeah, and you look at Ohio State versus you know it's again it's only been eleven games, but nobody was running the ball like that. Like Ohio State did not give up big plays running the ball. Ohio 
passing the ball, yeah, because the corner suck. But like that, like that, you know, seventy-five and an eighty-five yard back to back, but that hasn't happened against most of us either. So it's not a sustainable model. Um, and so, yeah, Michigan would be the underdog if we played the game. Yeah, I think that's crazy. Um, yeah, this Florida State receiver just made one of the craziest catches of the year. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, that's <laughs> I speechless. Getting basically tackled, one hands it and then shoves the guy off. That's. An, I thought it was that's the guy. The All right, I found number. I found number four. He could. He'd be number two at Ohio State. Ooh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm actually not that far off. How many guys on Ohio State go eight for two oh two? Oh, oh, is that? Uh, oh, yeah. Mm. No, you no, might he's, be right. He's a, he is a stud. That dude's like six five. Um, he's just not. He's not, he's not consistent. But it's fine because he'd be the number two. So yeah. <laughs> could you imagine? A freak could you, could yeah. you imagine him on freaking on the opposite of Marvin Harrison? Kind of like JSN, but like really, except the mega group in the middle. Like, who do you go? Yo, yo, the shot. Let's get on this. Figure it out, man. Stop, stop claiming being broke on Twitter and pony up the big bucks. Yeah, yeah, come on. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I still think I'm going to pick Michigan. The logical brain just too much. And to be honest, I feel like I've been really bad at picks all year, so. Just gonna put my cloud on. Put my cloud on Michigan. Listen, that is not a bad pick. I would just like to say that the game is gonna be close than people imagine. It's gonna be like, yeah. No, honestly, before we move on, like both teams, like in both games, like the national like narrative is Georgia's gonna kill Ohio State, Michigan's gonna kill TCU, and it's just gonna be Georgia versus Michigan, right? Every time that happens, usually. One of those two teams doesn't win. Shout out to Ohio State. Yeah, you, you well, I mean, dub, baby. You dub. either way, I would love to see the odds of. I would take a bet if you could tell me that it's either Georgia or Michigan are going to lose, um, which would be. And you didn't have to pick which one. Absolutely, I take that. Bet. Yeah, yeah. Um. So before we before we continue, let me see if this is on here. Before we continue, I do want to play this game. Maybe we can play it at the end. I'll let you choose where we put it, but we need to talk the Ryan Day narrative at some point in the podcast. The Ryan Day you. narrative of what happens if he loses close, what happens if he loses big, what happens if he wins. As some of his... I won't say harshest critics. I would say his more realistic critics. Because some of the criticism is just like kind of out of left field. But I think it is important to set the stage with what you know that means for him and what this offseason looks like uh, in the couple of possibilities of this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like if we want to set the expectations for this game, like the results either way. I think we just do that now. Like, obviously, the easiest ones he wins. Ryan Day's back, forty-six and five. Like, great coach. I don't even really think that unless they play Michigan, the national championship really. Well, if you play TCU, you got to beat TCU. So, if you beat Georgia, you got to win a national championship. Or I do think this year will still have a sour taste for most Ohio State fans. If you lose close, I, I think it's just another like. 
oh, well, Ryan Day can't win the big game. But, like, the guys came out. They fought. Everyone knew Georgia was going to win. You know, I think looking at it from how Gene Smith would probably look at it, that's close loss. You really don't even have to start having a discussion, right? You get to a blowout loss, like an Ohio State, Florida, like 2006 type of loss. It might be time to make some calls. Not hire anybody, but make some calls to some agents. See who's out there. Yeah, um, it's going to be very interesting. And and the thing that I always say as someone who criticizes Ryan Day a lot, I typically try to criticize and then provide, like, corrective action that can actually happen because I don't think they should fire him and I don't necessarily want them to fire him. I just want him to have less control in certain aspects. But ultimately, the unfortunate thing that you're in is there are just not that many coaches in the country better than him. Even the people who are his loudest critic, I bet you they couldn't confidently name someone that they know is going to be better than him. And so, Yeah, you've got – right now you've got Nick Saban, you've got Kirby Smart. Those are the two who have definitively separated themselves – Georgia with recruiting and if they win another national championship, being in that two national championship club is very elite company. Nick Saban obviously was six and he's kind of, he struggled this, he struggled the last two years if we're being honest. Because as, uh, as much as we want to talk that Lincoln Riley stuff and not we, that's the Royal we, Ryan Day's more accomplished than him. Like, except yeah. in, in every area except Heisman's. Yeah. And like Oklahoma, oh, actually, conference championships too. Because uh, USC lost theirs this year. I counted that one in my head already. Um, yeah, no, I really think like what Dabo's got two championships, so more accomplished, but no one in the country would take Dabo Sweeney over Ryan Day right it's, now. It's, yeah, no, I, I mean, Clemson would. <laughs> Maybe some of yeah. them, like Liberty would, right? Like some of them, like Liberty you know. would, yeah. Liberty would take to <laughs> Yeah, like Liberty would love Dabo Sweeney. Oh uh, but. We, we, yeah, I, could you imagine going to Liberty and saying we built this program in God's NIL? Oh my God! Yeah, they would give them an extension immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's like how much money you want. Uh, uh, but it, it's really tough because I, I, I think we just have such high expectations for Ohio State as a program, and they're living right at the edge of those expectations every year, and that makes it really hard because odds are, unless you go out and get Mike Vrabel. Um, there's not a better coach out there. And, and the thing, right. the thing with Mike Rabel is, you can't guarantee that he elite success. You can predict that he would be better, but you can't guarantee it. Especially because here's the thing, right? And I am not, you know, I, I, I try not to defend uh, Ryan Day too much because he does have some major flaws that, like, literally driving up the wall, but. Uh, is Mike Rabel keeping the quarterback recruiting? Like, like what? No. Which offense is he bringing? Because if he's bringing that Tennessee Titans offense, who wants to play in that? No, nobody, right? And that's the thing. Like, who are you going to hire? Um, who are you going to bring in? I think Ohio State has a good staff. Uh, I think there are some built-in advantages that Georgia, Texas. Uh, I'm not saying Texas is better. Just built-in program advantages they have from a recruiting standpoint, like. Don't get me wrong. If Ohio has a down year in recruiting, it seriously affects the level of talent Ohio State is getting because, as we saw this year, it is hard to go around the country and cherry-pick recruits when you've got NIL money involved, when you've got players. like It's hard to convince a kid from Florida to 
take less money and leave Florida to go to Ohio State, you know, and we kind of we talked about that before. But like there are some challenges that I don't think Ohio State fans fully accept about the program. And I think working around those is a big challenge. And there's still a reason, like if you go look at the team composite, Alabama, Georgia are one and two. Ohio State's three, and that's kind of how it's been the last few years. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Day has some major flaws that he needs to, to get over. Um, and it's getting to the point where you can't give him the new coach thing. Uh, it's getting to the point yeah. where he just needs to like, figure it out. But you can't, like, name the, like... Get, uh, He's lost to one team outside of the top four. But the problem is he keeps losing those games. Yeah, well, I think he's, I think he's, what, he's close to, he's close to 500 in those games, though. Yeah, so, uh, I would love, like, and that's, that, that's where I come in, because like, I'm going to criticize the man, but I'm also going to provide some solutions, because they're not firing me, for one, they're just not. Yeah. Secondly, as you just can't name anybody. Like, I don't want, I don't want Brian Kelly. Yeah, dude. I don't. And, like, like half the names people say. Some guy said, like, Dave Wanstad. I'm like, dude, the guy who coached the Bears in the 90s? What the? Where do you even get these names from? Like, you're not, like, you're not. Like Lincoln Riley's That's not, not serious. Him. He's not going to go call him, right? Who are you going to get Dion? That would be fun, but no. <laughs> ultimately, it, it, ultimately, the best, the best path for Ohio State is for Ryan Day to get better. And for the yeah. defense to get better, which is going to help. And the defense is going to get better with Jimmy. Like that, that is a given. So, um, yeah. Just I, I, I think the hardest part right now is lining up the elite quarterback play with the elite defensive play, right? Um, the closest they had that was Chase Young, Justin Fields, 2019. And... Since then, Stroud did not have a great defense his first his first year. Justin Fields didn't have a great defense his last year. Um, Stroud has a great defense this year, but I I think next year JT Tuamaleu, Jack Sawyer, they're going to be they're going to be at that level, and you're going to have a first year quarterback. So unless Devin Brown ends up being better than CJ Stroud, which you know jury's out, or Kyle McCord, sorry to the what, what do we call it? The Kyle McCord. It's the McCord Militia. The McCord Militia. I apologize to the McCord Militia members. We do not accept your apology. Yeah, that's fair because I'm a big Brown Brigade member. Um, yeah, no, I just think it's just been a tough – that's been tough. Not an excuse. You still want to see him win the games, but uh, like COVID ran through Ohio State when they played Alabama. Not an excuse, just a terrible circumstance, right? And that's happened quite a bit in Ryan Day's tenure. Yeah. And also, I go back to the Oregon game. The defense was terrible. What, Stroud was in his second game? Yeah. I I, I just think that, like, and we'll talk about this a lot in the offseason, Ryan Day needs to get rid of the Urban Meyer. I I just think that they're not doing it either. Like, yeah, I, they, can, I oh my God, I cannot wait. It's one it. of those things where you you respect them, what they've done. You respect that. 
Right. But what have you done for me lately? We talked about Alfred's recruiting. We talked about we got Wilson out the door, right? Uh, I can big time wait until we have the coaching show. I have so many things to say that I'm not going to put on any of the podcasts. I keep saying it because I'm going to go off for 30 minutes. I just cannot wait till we get to that point. I have so much to say about these coaches and the holdovers and what they're doing to Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, I, I I truly agree. We got rid of Wilson though. We got him out. Uh, I, I was yeah. For let's yeah, let's jump into the media days now. We got a few quotes here. I don't think we need to spend too much time on any of them, but uh, the one I want to start with because this is just funny. Uh, Kevin Wilson spent seventy percent of his time working at Ohio State, so I feel like this is a very Michael Scott energy asking this question, but. What was 100% looking like? <laughs> but the honest answer is the recruiting. Like, he didn't recruit for Ohio State. That's probably the only difference in his job. Yeah. Like, I don't know, man. God, if he's better with 70% work, he might. I mean, some people are like that. The less they work, the better. Yeah, ultimately, I still don't know what he did in his, his job, so we just need a lot of this. Very happy that he will be wearing a different color. You want to pass or you want to run inside zone, Ryan Day? Hmm. All right, your choice. You're the play caller. <laughs> so helpful. Thank hey, Kevin, you. what have they been running? Zone or man? Kind of depends. All right, thanks. All jokes aside, like I do think there's been some podcasts who given some serious perspective about Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day's relationship, and it's very much a mentor-mentee relationship about play calling. One guy's very good at the line stuff, Kevin Wilson, former offensive lineman. One guy's really good about the passing game. Um, Neither are good at designing a running game. Yeah, it's it makes me a little upset that Kevin Wilson's a run game guy and. It makes me a little more mad that the run game hasn't been fully developed. But that's why Justin Fry is going to be the offensive coordinator next year. We're going to fix it. I've seen UCLA's run game. I've watched a lot of UCLA football. It's very fun. Boston College's run game is excellent. Yeah. 2,000-yard rusher. Uh, Speaking of future 2,000-yard rushers, Chip Trainum's back in his natural habitat at running back, per him. Um, I think that was an interesting story. That made me Um, so mad. Because I think looking back at the offseason, once Evan Pryor got hurt, they probably should have seriously considered moving him to running back, right? They should have never put him at linebacker. If he didn't want to be a linebacker, they didn't need him in the room. He didn't play. I think he wanted to be a linebacker because I think coming in, he probably had a better chance to play there. Yeah, but that's not him wanting to be a linebacker. He basically admitted that they told him if he wanted to be on the team, he had to play linebacker. And he expressed so much relief about how glad he was and happy he was to be back at his natural position and his habitat where he wanted to be. Like, not either accept, like, don't accept the transfer or accept it at the position he wants to play. Like, it made it seem like he wasn't happy at running back. And so he came here because the other team wasn't going to let him play linebacker. And he thought, like like a like a steel chambers thing where his best position and his best chance to go to the league was at linebacker. No, he literally said 
I was willing to sacrifice to win a national championship. He never wanted to play linebacker, and he didn't play linebacker for us. He wasn't on the field. They just they literally yeah. just wasted a year of his career, and it's just like you don't need running backs to play linebacker. You just don't. You bring him in as running back, or you don't accept his transfer. And if you need a linebacker, you don't get a linebacker in the transfer pool. That's just so dumb. Like it's just like little things like that. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Like, why, why it is, is dumb thing? in the in the grand scheme of things, but I can't not think about his recruiting highlight and how dominant of a defender he was um, at Archbishop Hoban. That guy was a machine. But he was a 500-yard rusher in the Pac-12. Like, immediately once Evan Pryor went down, they should have clock turned on. All right, we need some depth over here. This guy's good. And he had 86 yards against Michigan. And Michigan's a pretty good run defense if you look at any stat ever. Um, So I'm glad he's back at running back. I am very excited to see this running back group. You know, I think we've had so much will they, won't they this year. It it feels like it's finally in a place where there's going to be a definitive pecking order. Um, And... I think all three guys that are healthy are very capable running backs. So that to me is exciting and really my biggest takeaway from chip train. I'm talking and wait, before we go, that's not a knock on Travion Henderson. Like I wish he was fully healthy. That would be ideal. But I also hated how I guess Tony Alford got thrown under the bus for this, how the rotations were managed. Why did they force him back in against Maryland? Like, these are some questions that need answered to me that never will be. And I think that to me is it. We have three running backs. Those are the three guys. We'll see what they can do. If Chip is our best running back next year, I'm riding. But yeah, no, he might be too. I don't know. I just like. You can't compare a linebacker to Hercules and not be excited about him a running back. I don't know why Steel Chambers had to say that. And, you know, hyping up the guys. I mean, he is a freak athlete. Like, I don't think there's many guys in college football who could catch. Well, he can't really catch kickoffs, but every time he got the ball in his hands, finally, it looked pretty dangerous. He could play running back. I'm sure in, a, in the right situation, he could probably play linebacker. Um, he's a machine running down on kickoffs. That's horrifying. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just want to see this guy run the football. I want to see mine Williams run the football. And I, I just is whoever is going to be least like Reggie Bush. I think this is the one cut. You got to get the yards type of game. Dallin Hayden. That's what he does best. We're not going to do that. Yeah, I do think. I, I just Mayan, just go back to your roots, man. What got you here from Wyndham Woods? And also, Washington's about to. I think Washington's going to be Texas by like twenty points tonight. Easily. If this was, you know, January first, I might put my money. Yeah. I'm not because I still don't know how to bet, and I don't like to lose money. So it's going it to be a learning experience. Yeah. It's a painful one. All right. Uh, next quote we got. We have to play a complete game in terms of not just pass catching, but run blocking. Make sure there's little to no mistakes. That's what Emeka Ibuka said about the wideouts having to step up. Um, I really agree with this. I think one thing that separated Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, and I'm just going to be honest here, Emeka Ibuka, Julian Fleming, and Marvin Harrison Jr. are much more imposing receivers than those two. 
uh, is the run blocking. Like these three guys do not have that same determination in springing off their running backs. And we've seen it with the bubble screens. We've seen it with runs that look like they're about to turn into big ones. And man, I really want to see the receivers go out there and block. Like granted, I still want to see the big plays in the passing game, but I want to see some dominant blocking out there. Yeah, I think that uh, I would agree with you. I'm certain. We need to see it. We need it immediately. I think that. Yeah. You know, especially because, like, I don't know, really do on the bubble screen kind of thing, but like, man, whew, the bubble screens didn't work because uh, <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't block. Yeah, Kate Stover might be the worst blocker in space, and Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison Jr. are pretty close. (laughs) Yeah, the only guy. The worst part is Egbuk is one of the only guys who can block, and he's usually the one catching the bubble screens. Oh my god! Yeah, (laughs) I don't want to get that. That's that is just a a twist of fate. Yeah, and you know the funniest part is is like. A lot of teams, the few teams that have had any success moving the ball against Georgia consistently have attacked horizontally. Kent State was rocking them with screens and getting outside. Pray for that's, that's Ryan Day's licking his chops. Yeah, let's see if Ryan Day can take notes from Sean Lewis, the real offensive guru in the state of Ohio. Hey, that's not a joke. Uh, now he's in Colorado. But I don't see, I don't see Deion Sanders calling Ryan Day. <laughs> You know, sources have confirmed that Deion Sanders did indeed not call Ryan Day. Uh, I'm going to say we are going to have to look deeper into this to understand why. But um, it is I can confirm with my number of sources that Ryan Day was not deemed as a good enough offensive mind to coach at Colorado. That is by Deion Sanders. So we'll see how it works out. Um, But, yeah, didn't get a call. Sean Lewis got the call. All right, next one I got. Stroud says OSU has to play Buckeye football. What have you guys been playing? That is just like – oh, my God. When you talked about, like, losing some confidence, I totally understand it now. <laughs> I just wish he would stop talking, bro. Like, I just, like, like he's just, like. He's got that Inland Empire honesty. He just does uh, not. It's kind of a me, curse. He just does not make me want to play for him. Like, I, I, I will say it until we see another one. He is the most, like, like, like. As far as a quarterback in the pocket, throwing the ball, gifted, intelligent, reading the field, layering passes, he is the most gifted passer in Ohio State history. It is not even close. Uh, I need to start using different words because best is relative. He's not the best player. That is definitely Justin Fields because he had the whole package. CJ Stroud has a package as a quarterback that we may never see again. It is, it is very rare for a quarterback. But God, he does not got the other stuff. Like you hear Justin Fields in his interviews when he's like three and twelve and getting the shit beat out of him. And you're like, yeah, this is. I will drive to Chicago right now. I will be your right tackle. 
at six foot. Like, I will do it. <laughs> Pick me. I promise. At all costs, they will not get back there. Uh, but yeah, no, I think we talked about this, what, two weeks ago? Dwayne Haskins, Justin Field, or not Dwayne Haskins and CJ Stroud, probably two of the chillest dudes on the planet to the point where it's like, need a little less chill. Like, I get it. You're the cool, you're laid back, you're going to go out and show it on the field, right? And I'm, um, I'm personally, like, I get it. He has a lot of perspective. I'm so tired of hearing this game doesn't define me. I want a quarterback who it defines. Yeah, no, like we, made, I made the joke about Tom Brady. <laughs> Every game defines him. Like, I, Every game defines his personal life. Um, but yeah, like JT Barrett, you know, all his limitations. Dude was a psychopath. Yeah, when it came to wanting to win, Justin Fields, given all his strengths and all his talent, was a psychopath who wanted to win. So he, uh, he has too much. Mikey, you you brought it up. Like when he took that shot to the ribs, what did he do a few plays later? He got back came in, back in. And then immediately did like listen, as a person, great. Like I like I would hope mature beyond his years as a person. Yeah, I would hope, obviously, with like less trial and tribulations, of course. I would hope that my kids are that understanding and and mature and you know have that worldview of his age. Like his mom, absolutely should be very proud. Like he's going to go on and be successful. I don't want people to think my opinion on him has changed where I don't like him. That is not true. But I'm telling you, he don't got that dog in him. Straight up, straight down. I need a quarterback where this game defines him. Like that, like yeah, that's Max what Dugan is that level of a psychopath, and he's the reason that they can beat Michigan. When's the last time? Like, as much as, you know, C.J. Stroud has significantly more talent than J.J. McCarthy, right? But I have not seen... CJ Stroud lower his shoulder and try to carry three Ohio State defenders past the first down marker. No, and like, like I, I could care less about JJ. But JJ said he was really considering Ohio State until Ryan Day came in with Urban Meyer, until Ryan Day came in and Ryan Day wanted a different type of quarterback. Which thank you because JJ is not good. Like thank you, Ryan Day not Ohio State's guy. for ID identifying what you really need. But he said that put a fire into me, and I have thought about that. Like essentially, like that is how he goes to this game against Ohio State. What puts a fire in CJ Stroud? Like, aside, like aside from the fire that he had as a three-star recruit who didn't get invited to the Elite Eleven, where's that fire? Like he's had too much yeah. success. Like where is the I'm going to do everything? I'm going to go to six or seven camps so they make me get so they invite me to the Elite Eleven. We all yeah. watched the journey. We saw what you talked about. Where is I like? Where is that fire that I'm going to prove these people that I'm better? But even then, even then, it really wasn't enough fire because he really said I wasn't expecting to go and win. I just wanted to show them how good I was or some shit. Where Justin Fields would have went in there like, no, nah, y'all didn't believe in me. I'm fucking everybody. Else. Sorry for yeah. the podcast. And, you know what? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, we see that out of him Saturday. Because that would be a great. Because if, uh, if he can find some dog with all of his talent, oh my god! Like, I it just I don't want to. I, I just don't want to see him lose another game where it's like, man, he put up three hundred sixty yards, but man, he missed some of these throws that could have really turned the game. 
Because that really goes into it. Uh, all right, next one we got. Um, Jack Sawyer takes issues with all the questions about George's physicality. Uh, I don't have the full quote saved in the notes, but he basically said, I get what you guys are doing asking about the physicality, but we played physical. You go back and watch the tape. They didn't beat us because we weren't physical. No, they beat us. They beat you because you folded. But um, Ryan Day, you gave up to the team game. Yeah. Um, so I, I really, I really like the mindset, but it is definitely something where I don't think we've seen it from Ohio state for four quarters. They're tough in stretches, but I still wouldn't call them, uh, physically imposing football team. I think they're a tough football team. I don't think they're imposing. I think they're two. Yeah. But they like, they, like to their credit, which I'm not giving much credit for losing Michigan two years in a row. They have not been physically dominated by anyone, and I don't think that they will be physically dominated by Georgia, unless it's Jalen Carter to the interior offense. But like this defensive line is not going to back down anybody. They're not going to be dominated. They're just not. Like they they have some studs there, so I'm not really worried about that. I think that they're right about that. But at the end of the day. Don't matter what you lose. Yeah. All right. I got one from our guy, Jim Knowles. Um, my job is to prepare these guys the best I possibly can for them. Uh, we expected to be here when I took the job. I expected that it would lead to this. You don't change unless there's a problem. Uh, he also talked about how he, like you said, locked him. He basically said he locked himself in a room and really reflected on what happened against Michigan talked about the breakdowns being uh, not systematic. So that's a good sign. Uh, you just need to co- see communication better. That falls on Perry, Tim Walton in the secondary that falls on the position coaches on what you're communicating. And I think Knowles just needs to go out and call the game like he has all year because we've seen him at his best and how fun this defense can be when he's just, in his bag. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, you had a bad game. Unfortunately, you had a bad game in the worst possible time to have a bad game. But I still believe yeah. that you can figure it out. Yeah, he uh, was asked if the Michigan game came down to five plays and answered with one word. He said yes. So, um yeah, that's about it. That's right. So, um, I'm intrigued. I, I think I I really don't think I think the defense is really getting hammered pretty hard for the end of that Michigan game. Those two rushing plays by uh, Donovan Edwards and then the touchdown to the tight end. Uh, you know, those are three plays. Like, man. The one that really actually sticks with me more isn't the three play, the five touchdowns, you know, the long touchdowns. It's the one drive where Ohio State went down and they were down four and Michigan got the ball back because Ryan Day decided to punt after not faking it. And Michigan got the ball back and drove down the field and took nine minutes off the clock. That's the drive that stuck out to me. And that's the one that worries me going against Georgia. Yeah, I uh, would agree. I would say, um, absolutely agree. And that is something that we just cannot have. 
like you know happening like once you know kind of like that's what happens you know but like it just cannot be a consistent thing that they're just putting drive together against us like I, I just I can't I, we can't do that um so yeah and I don't know if it's because like the defensive court the defensive players are just so in line with each other or they're just all these same old boring defenders but they basically said the same exact thing, everything. Uh, Georgia's got a talented offense. They're very versatile in what they do. Uh, Stetson Bennett's good. They've got good running backs. I'm doing my best Tommy Eikenberg impression, if you guys can't tell. Uh, we're really excited. The past This past month, getting back out there, practicing really hard. That's basically what they all said. Defenders, man. They, they The personality is not on that side of the ball, usually. Nope. That's good to be. Especially not the linebacker position. But you go in the locker room, I bet you these guys have the biggest personalities. All right. I don't think I don't think there's any more I want to take away from the pressers. Uh, we kind of already did the strength and weakness comparisons. Uh, we can rapid fire that if we want. Um, but I, I'd rather finish the show off with kind of discussing some areas Ohio State can attack on both sides of the ball. Then we'll give our predictions and get out of here. Is that will that work with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, let's give. Let's put the. We put our recruiting hat on last week. Let's put our X's and O's hat on this week. You know what? If Ohio State wins this game, uh, I'll order us some hats that say X's and O's guys. Love it. Um, some people won't get it, but if you watch football, you'll get it. Um, not gossip girl. Uh, strength and weakness comparison. Oh, wait. I just said we're not doing that. Bad hosting. Bad podcasting. Sorry, guys. Uh, we're going to Ohio State attack Georgia. Uh, so I kind of hinted at this early, but Missouri found success attacking them horizontally. Um, Kent State found success attacking them horizontally. Um, Kentucky found success attacking them horizontally and i don't mean like completely east west i mean plays that get out on the perimeter bubble screens quick screens out to the outside receiver getting up the field blocking uh pin and pull sweeps uh counter sweeps counter toss type plays like you want to get um your lineman out in space to create cutback lanes for your running back so they can get vertical and get yards uh, you want to get out in space and use your blocking seam to counteract their man coverage. If you could do that and you could block well, teams have found success against Georgia, albeit very minimal. And I think this is a place where it's been very frustrating as Ohio State fans to watch Ryan Day Chuck bubbles, Ryan Day Chuck, you know, run those wide zones to the boundary. But. Unfortunately for us as viewers, this has worked at times against Georgia. It has. And the unfortunate thing for us is we're just not good at blocking it. <laughs> like, ultimately, like, we're, we're just not good at blocking it. But the outside run, though, that is something that I'm very intrigued about. I just don't want to see too many screens. And I think if we're going to do screens, they need to be tunnel screens because uh, the, or they need to be like running back, like flares, which for some reason we don't do. Um, mm-hmm. 
On the trade down. Yeah, I, I think the other stuff is we're just not good at blocking it. So I, I don't really have too much uh, faith in our ability, even though this is a defense that you can kind of get outside on. Yeah, they're just so content with the separation of their secondary and their in-the-box defenders that I really do think it creates some problems for them. You know, when you play man, it really puts your defensive backs in a bind defending the run. And when you play man, it really puts your linebackers in a bind on getting outside. So uh, it's it's going to be one of those things. I don't know how much they'll do it, um, but it is definitely a way to kind of neutralize a uh, dominant interior rusher. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what I was saying at before. Uh, you need to stay away from him as much as possible. Hey, run that wide zone to that guy. I think it'll work. I don't know, actually. I would, I'd be kind of scared to call that play. But no pressure, no diamonds. That's what I tell myself before I send the call out. Uh, next on the list, uh, downfield in the passing game. Uh, yes, Georgia has good corners. But you've got a Marvin Harrison Jr. and a Julian Fleming who are two very physically imposing athletes. And what's one of the best ways to go against man coverage? Vertical. If Ohio State is scared to pass vertical, I do think this is going to be a tough game. Yeah. Uh, I think that we just need to chuck it. Chuck it, chuck it, chuck it. Marvin Harrison just runs straight. Now, obviously, you can't do it all the time, but, like, Marvin Harrison runs straight challenge. CJ Stroud throw the ball up challenge. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's a little crazy to me? Ohio State doesn't really run a lot of double moves. So, I'll, I'm interested to see if they throw any of those out there. You know, it's a very against their tendencies. Um, you throw in a max protection, get a nice out and up to Emeka, Buka, Fleming, whoever, you know. Um Marvin, I'd just be intrigued to see if they do that. If they score on a double move, you guys need to credit me. Hmm. Um, all right, next on the list, I've got defensively. Uh, you need to confuse their offensive line. Uh, so twists up front, blitzes from the second level, delayed pressures, uh, kind of things you can do because individually, Georgia's offensive line is good like if you go down the list they don't have a Paris Johnson Jr um but as a unit they play as one of the best in the country the issue for them has come when teams stunt when they bring extra pressure and when you bring up their communication issues like Auburn had two sacks against them George's given up seven sacks on the year uh, they're really good offensive line and pass protection, and it helps him that Setson Bennett can move a little bit. But you really got to find ways to confuse that offensive front. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is a um, very good time for Jack Sawyer and the moving position around and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, it's sure. Leo time. I, I guess this doesn't really matter. Do we officially have a Leo yet? Because remember, they were calling it Jack, right? Until you earned being a Leo. Jack I don't think we have a Leo, Leo yet. That's weird. Jack's played pretty good this year. Yeah, he's definitely played good as of late. I really think there's going to be a, 
if they have a big game, there's going to be a big symbolic moment after if Ohio State wins. Like, you're a Leo now, like in a movie. <laughs> That'd be funny. But yeah, uh, the, either way, the the point of the Leo uh, position, yeah, I think that that is going to go exactly to what you were talking about and needing to confuse them and disrupt them and, and some of that kind of stuff. And luckily for yeah. us, that's built in, right? Like, that's not something that they have to create for this game. They just need to execute. It's already a known as all defense, and that's why it's in the defense because of, you know, what kind of, you know, change and problem and disruption it can cause. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, they've given up seven sacks on the year, uh, but they also haven't played JT Tuamaleu. They haven't played uh, this type of talent. I don't think they've played a guy of the caliber of Mike Hall this year um, when healthy. So, I, I think that's actually one of the bigger injury like opportunities those four weeks for Mike Hall to get fully healthy. Uh, that could be dangerous. That could be a dangerous thing we didn't really mention on the show today. Yeah, I really hope people listen to an hour forty one because that's that's big. That's big. I think. Um, last thing I got on where Ohio State can attack and defend against Georgia is timing up your changes between man and zone coverage. I think you've got to surprise them. You've got to when you're playing a twenty five year old college quarterback. They've seen most things. So you need to find ways to really throw them off. And I think Jim Knowles is the man to do that. Um, I don't want to see this team sit back and play straight man coverage. Uh, I think I don't think Georgia necessarily has the receivers to do it, but right now my faith in the cornerbacks outside of Denzel Burke is not high. And I think you could really – get some of those plays where you drop JT back and just get them off, you know, into a passing lane late. Those are the types of things I want to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, ultimately, this is a game where we need to force uh, a couple turnovers and, and whichever way that's possible, whether it's sack fumbles, interceptions, confusing the quarterback, um, you know, we need to get the ball as much as possible. So uh, I think that that is going to be very important for us. And ultimately at the end of the day, the best players got to play their best game. Yep. hundred percent. It's really going to be best on best. Um, I think a lot of people have written Ohio state off. Um, this should be Georgia winning by 30 points. And that's exactly where I like to be as an Ohio state fan. Yeah. I think we have a chance. Um, Unless they actually beat Ohio State by three, then I don't like to be there. <laughs> yeah, I just please, like I want to win, but if we lose, please be close. Yeah, I joke. I joke with this all the time. I always say like, yeah, no, I've already got my reactions kind of figured out. Then the game happens, and I'm ready to like chop people's heads off, get them out of jobs, and then after the instant reaction passes, I'm like, eh, maybe I overreacted a little bit. But that's what it's about. Um, so let's get into it. Predictions for the game. Um, you would go first. You want me to go first? I'll go first. And I'm going out on a limb. Ohio State, 31 to 24. 31 to 24. All right. Um, yeah, I'm going to pick Ohio State, too, just because I'm not, not going to pick them. Uh, 
And I have them winning 38 to 28. Okay. That's fair. A late touchdown, very similar. Maybe, oh, man, that would be the boldest prediction I could make. C.J. Stroud runs for a touchdown to put the game on ice. <laughs> Read option, 35-yard run. They all bite on mine, Williams, and he takes it to the house. Saw it in a dream last night, so it's got to be real. What else could it be? Um, but, yeah, I, I, really, I, I really do think – my biggest issue right now, before we go, is just how little of a chance the national media has given Ohio State. Like, you're telling me the number three composite talent team can't beat the number two composite talent team in the country? They just, they, is that what we're saying? They don't know football, man. They show it more and more. So, yeah, I think uh, I really don't have much else to add. I think we covered basically every angle of this game uh, that we could. Um, mixed in some stats, mixed in some news, and I think we dove into this pretty deep. So, I, anything you got else? Anything else you got to say before uh, we head out? I just I said it already, but I'm going to say it again. The best players have to play their best game, and CJ Stroud needs to play with his hair on fire. He needs to play like this game means everything. And if that happens, yeah. I give us a good chance. Yeah, I think it's all said and done. Uh, it's time to go put a freaking spear through the heart of the South again. And no place better to do that than Atlanta, Georgia. And that's all I got. Follow me at Chris Rennie CFB. Follow the show at Buck Off Pod. Where can we find you, Jordan? You can find me on Twitter at JordanWPPQ. That's it for us. We'll see you. I'll see you guys after the game, and Jordan will see you guys a few days after the game. Yes, sir. And as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks. <laughs>